Hey everybody, it's Tim. Welcome or welcome back to the LOH Church Podcast. At the end of this episode, I ask you to please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast and our YouTube channel, where you can access all our message content. Most importantly, I hope the following message inspires you to take your next step in the faith journey. Enjoy. I'm so glad to be back. I'm excited about getting into the Word with you today. We're starting a new series called Close Encounters of the God Kind. And um, we're going to look over weeks to come at very famous, very known passages in the Bible, mostly in the Old Testament, these moments where God comes close to people, and there are these encounters, and they're so powerful that they leave a historical mark in Israel. They're legendary throughout centuries and even millennium, but they really took place. They were real happenings when God showed up. And we're going to look at those. Um, my hope is, as we do, you and I will be gripped with, um, with this truth. Uh, the truth is, is that God longs to be up close and personal with people. He longs to be up close and personal with his church. Um, and he longs for the church to be up close and personal with him. And he longs for the church to be up close and personal with people that don't know him. And so that is going to be the repeating theme as we go through these close encounters of the God kind. But I want to say this, that as we look at them, these moments that we look at, they are not templates. In other words, they don't set a precedent of how God will meet with you or me. Um, in other words, uh, what we're looking at today, uh, we're going to look at some things, but it, it isn't a template for you to expect that when you wake up tomorrow morning, you're going to see the face of God and he's going to be breathing into your nostrils the breath of life. It's not that we walk out in the woods and we can be guaranteed that we're going to come across a burning bush and hear the audible voice of God. Uh, if you do... Check your meds. Anyway. <laughs> but in all of those amazing encounters, we're going to learn some things about God because he reveals something about himself for us, that he's still close. We're going to learn things about ourselves and, again, about who is still near and dear to his heart, although they're not near and dear in their heart. In our mission, he is still compassionate toward us. I'm so thankful. Aren't you thankful that he's still compassionate toward us? I mean, who deserves to be here? Who deserves to know what we know? Um, all of these people that we're going to look at, none of them were selected because they were good men or good women. They were selected because God is good. If God only chose good men and women, then his job would have to be over because he'd just have us left. But we're all called to not only have these encounters and these moments we're going to look at, and we're all diverse in our personalities, we're all diverse in our likes and our giftedness, but we're all called in unity to walk these things out and to let our light shine because God wants people to encounter him, but it's not going to be through a burning bush, and it's not going to be with a roof set on fire and flaming thumbs dropping down on people. It's going to be in jars of clay, people like us, who over the longevity of life are shining something that you can only see in the eyes of your soul when God opens your eyes. That's what this is about. Today's the first message I've titled, In the Garden. Um, have you ever heard this song? I've just seen a face, I can't forget the time, a place that we just met, she's just the girl for me, I want all the world to see we've met. Anybody hear that song before? Huh? Oh, we got work to do. 
Can I, can I spell it out? B-A-T-E-L-S. Beatles. Have you ever heard of the Beatles? Huh? How about this one? The first time ever I saw your face. Oh, what are you, young or something? I felt the earth moving. My... You ever hear that song? What is the description? For the very first time I saw her, she's the one for me. I want to ask this question. You, you who are married. I want to ask, I want to see a show of hands. Guys, would you raise your hand if you would say, I knew from the very first time I saw her, she was the one. Would you raise your hand? Keep it up. 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 Wow, look, at around, look around the room. You knew it? How many, and let me ask you this. Are you with her now? <laughs> and let me ask you this. No, let me ask you this. No show of hands. You knew it then, but in the morning now you go, oh, I, I, no, I mean, you still feel, let me ask, you still feel that way, raise your hand. And if, even if you don't raise it because it's a romantic upgrade, raise your hand. Yes, you still, honey, look at her and say, I still do it. This is your chance. This is your chance. How many of you, that, that, ladies, let me ask you. Now we'll get the wrong, honest answers. No. Ladies, from the very first time you knew, raise your hand. Yeah? Your very first time? Allison, did you have your hand up too? You didn't keep it up very long. Okay, yeah? Very first, wow. Yeah? And you're still together, right? How many of you, no lying, because you're in church. How many of you would say, I still feel that way? Ray, huh? Oh, Roberta. Is that what Roberta? Did Roberta, listen, does Roberta even have a sin nature? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Tim? Oh, don't say that, Tim. Yeah. Okay, here's the different one. First time you saw your baby, the moment it was born. Whether you have one or two or you're like the crazy Whartons, they have seven. What are the worst Christines laying down somewhere right now? <laughs> right? Seven? What, are you biblical or something? Like seven lamps, seven angels, seven Whartons. Right? <laughs> what in the world? Mm. Mm. Tyler, every one of them, when you looked in their face, it wasn't like you went, well, the first five were wild, but now uh, let's go home. It wasn't, was it? Every time? How many grandparents would say, the first time you saw your grandkids? Same? Yeah. Isn't that something? Here's another one. Say one of your good friends and you get on the outs with them. Don't you hate that? You get on the outs with them and then maybe they're in church. You go to a, people have gone to different churches because of that. And then, and then, and then you hope you avoid them at all costs, a birthday party, whatever you think. Are they going to be there? I'm not going to be there. Are they going to be there? Do you know if they're going to be there? I don't know. That. All that. And then you go somewhere and you're in an elevator and the elevator door opens and it's like, have you, have, have you ever, I get along with everybody. I just, people just tell me these things. Um, but that happened, that happened, happened. Ugh. And then the, in the moment, and, and then you're like, and, you, and you, it, it, maybe you're quick on your feet so you can put on a, oh, hi, you know, but that thing's there and it's inside and you're like, Every, they're both that way, you're that way, and you go, and, it, and then the door closes, you think, oh, geez, you know. But what if instead you go, I can't take this. So you go find that, you get out of the elevator, you, check them, you, you track them down, you're like, look, hey, this is stupid. This is dumb. We're fighting over, and you're my brother, you're my sister, you're my wife. No, I'm just, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and then you talk it over, you talk it over, and then oh, it's over. Don't you love that? That the feeling that it's not weird anymore, you don't have to worry about when you go in the Walmart, there they, you know, it's all, okay. it's all, don't you love that? I think Jesus said something about that. If your brother has something against you when you don't, hallelujah, you go have, go get right with your, that. Because after that, it's like, oh, yeah. Well, we're going to cover all that today. Not with as much uh, humor, but um, 
Imagine Adam waking up in paradise and seeing the face of God. Oh, he saw, no man can see God's face and live. No, no, that's after the fall. Before the fall, it's like, hi, God, face to face, paradise on earth, the presence of God before the fall, untainted, perfect, God being with man, man being with God. What was that? What did he see? What was it like? We can't even put into words. There is only a little glimpse of it because that's not what any of us have ever known. We've never known one moment of that. No human has except Adam and Eve. Perfect paradise. We lost it. But the good news is it's been renewed in part because the one who came to Adam walking in the cool of the day, calling out his name after the fall as Adam and Eve are hiding from God, just like you avoid in the elevator or in the hallways or the church, you go to another, whatever, just like that, God came looking and calling the name. And the God-man Jesus who saw Almighty God face to face, the Son who came from the heart of the Father, showed His face to the world so we could wake up again and start being, coming back into the image of God. And we're on a mission, we're on a, uh, a destiny to somewhere else. We're going to go back to that first encounter. And let's look at this thought of Imago Dei, the image of God in macro form. Genesis chapter 1 is a macro revelation, and then Genesis chapter 2 and 3 is a micro. We're going to look at both. Let's look at the macro first. In Genesis 1, it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The literal Hebrew says, in the beginning, Elohim, the gods, yeah, says that. It doesn't mean what we think, but that's, that's the literal created the land and the sky. Darkness was over the surface of the waters. And the Spirit of God hovered over the deep. And then for the first time and time after time after time, for seven moments, days, yams, the then God said. And in the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image, Imago Dei, in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them, and both of them in this perfected paradise, Eden-like state, both in their own being reflected something about the image of God. Adam and Eve, male and female, both individually and together, reflect something about the majesty and the glory of God. And he said they could rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and this dominion, this liberating God gives liberty to everything. And he looks at it and he says, it's very good. It's very good. Now let's look in the micro of the same thing in the second and third chapters. Imago Dei in micro. Then the Lord God formed man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils. Look how close that is. God, the anthropomorphic imagery here is that God gets his hands down in the soil and with his own hands forms humanity and then breathes into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living being. We don't know what that is. We're alive, but this is complete. This is another level. This is, this is something we've never touched, never tasted. And man became a living being. 
And the Lord God planted a garden in the east called Eden, and he placed the man there that he had formed out of the ground. The Lord caused the trees to, to grow. And I love what it says here. They were pleasing to the sight. And once again, I want you not to think in our terms when we see a beautiful... And Have you been to certain gardens? We were in Scotland last year at this time. There's this garden in Edinburgh that was just like spectacular. You can't even... And you're just wanting to like, can I live here in this garden? It was so amazing. But again, we're talking pre-fall. What did trees look like before the fall? I know when I was flying to LA the last time and, and got a morning flight, and we were coming down out of the north over the Rockies, and I had a window seat, and the sun was coming up over the Rocky Mountains. And it's like, I just wanted to say, can you loop around a couple times? It was like, you're like... What is this? So I don't even, we don't even know what it, what that good for the sight was. And the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of life and a river flowed out of Eden and watered it all. This great river, this is, this really happened, but this is symbolic also. There's so much in this about the spirit life as a new believer and the streams that flow into the soil of Eden to continue to restore our lives. That's, that's what this is saying as well. And then it says, the Lord God took the man, put him in the garden of Eden to cultivate it. It's about cultivating your life, cultivating the soil and the dominion of God and keeping it. And then the Lord says, it's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helpmate suitable. And he causes a deep sleep to fall upon the man. Now, you know, uh, uh, every wife here, you know, I'm sure there are times that uh, he's sleeping a lot, and you think that now the Lord's not uh, causing this deep sleep, and he's definitely not being creative right now. But, uh, but he causes a deep sleep, and out of his rib, he fashions the woman, and he brings her to the man. What amazing, amazing imagery here. And he says, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. And, all, and, and, the, and, and they're together, they're naked and without shame. These words pop out, garden and spirit formation, breathing, alone not being good, community enhanced in a pre-fall, in a paradise, Edenic form. All of this stuff is very good. And we talked about the first time that you saw your child or your children, I did, grandchildren, and that look, I mean, Savannah was the first, Devin was the second for me, and both of them, it's just like, I can, this is what life's all about. This is, this is what life's all about, right? I mean, it's just like something explodes in that very minute, what it's about. And they're looking at you. Imagine Adam seeing God, but imagine God seeing Adam. You know what he said? Very good. Listen. The tone and the thematic coming from the heart of God pre-fall, from God to man, very good. Be free to eat. Name the animals. Do you see the liberty there? See the freedom there? The dynamic? There's another place in the book of Job where, which is a book none of us read a whole lot, I, sadly, where Job has gone through the stuff, it seems so unjust, and why did God allow this to happen to me? And the argument there, and he gets God's on trial, and Job's on trial, and he has all these questions he'd like to ask God, and there's this dramatic moment in the end of the book, in, in about four chapters in the end, where God doesn't answer Job's questions, but ask Job questions. It's a powerful, powerful interaction. But in this one part, God asks Job this, and it gives us a window again into this pre-fall paradise. And God says to Job, asks him, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. When the morning stars sang together, in other words, the cosmos was melodic. There was a sound of music in the space, time, continuum. And the sons of God shouted, that's a, I don't have time, it's a rabbit trail, but it's talking about the angelic hosts. They're shouting uh, you know, worship to God and the stars are 
or humming, probably uh, pet sounds, I don't know. Uh, there's, this, there's this amazing sound, sonic music. All, you know, have you ever heard people when they talk about like dying and, and the Christians, they die and they, they go to heaven and many times they talk about the vibrancy of the, of, the, of, the, of the garden imagery and the flowers and all, like you can't even describe the color and they talk about music. It's pulsating out of the earth, out of the ground, and everywhere. This is the way it was. Satan hates the goodness of God. Satan despises the image of God's goodness reflecting out of a woman. There is a glory that a woman reflects points to the image of God. There's a glory in a man that points to the majesty of God. Satan hates the goodness in a family. Satan hates the goodness of childhood. Hates it. So he seeks to, ver to pervert it through lies. Satan lied about God. He lies about God. He lied about them. He lies about you and me, and he lies about others. There is a beast in the field. It says, now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, indeed, has God said to him, you shall not eat from any tree of the garden? What's this not getting able to do things that God's bringing up? What is that? I'll tell you what it is. You won't die if you go your own way, if you make your own choices. Because God knows that the day you eat of it, your eyes are going to get open, true, with a lie. And you'll be like God. You'll be your own God, your body, your choice. You know there's going to be a banner over the gates of hell. And it's a lyric from a song from the 60s. I did it my way. You'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And of course, we know what happened. They ate, their eyes were opened, and they realized they were naked. And they hid themselves, covered themselves. Here's what the fall did for them and us. The fall took our breath away. Not our physiological, biological breath, but our spirit breath. The fall took our sight, not our eyes, but the sight of our soul, took it away. The fall warped our wisdom. The fall crippled our walk. It perverted our reasoning. I'm riding around on my red spider bike in 1970-something, listening in, in my head to my music. Even if I didn't have music, we didn't have Walkmans. We just had it in, our, in ourselves. <laughs> Whatever it was. <laughs> hey, kid, when you're a grandfather, there will be people on the Supreme Court that won't be able to define what, you know your mom, what is she, a man or a woman? Oh, she's a woman. They won't know. Come on. Are we invaded from space creatures or something? You don't know. The fall creates a vacuum and a longing in all of our lives and we go searching, but the lights are out. We have cravings and longings. We have questions. Who am I? Who will love me? If God is good, why? But see, God is good. And in his prevenient grace, what is amazing about God is that he causes his rain to fall on the just and the unjust. He causes his sunshine to come shine on the wicked and the righteous. Satan doesn't run everything. The earth is the Lord's, but the world system is perverted. Yet even with that, God's in control. He still seeks and he still draws people out of the world. Were you in the world at one time? Aren't you glad God didn't stop right before your day of conversion? Aren't you glad that all the Christians didn't just close up shop and just go to church and leave us out? Oh, 
There was a paradise once upon a time, and not everybody understands that, but everybody is searching for it because in the inner part of every human being, they know that. I thought Phil Wickham was cool before most thought Phil Wickham was cool. Carl Wilson and I, actually. And we, we found a, a CD by him a long time ago, and there's a song on one of his original, I think maybe first or second CD, called Eden. And I, 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 listen how he captures this. When the first light brightened the dark, before the breaking of the human heart, there was you and there was me. Innocence was all we knew, because all I had to know was you. You were running. We were running underneath the trees. I want to see you face to face, where being in your arms is my permanent state. I want it like it was back then. I want to be in Eden, to be naked and unashamed in a sweet downpour of innocent rain. I want it like it was back then. I want to be in Eden. All of these God encounters we're looking at, they tell me one thing. God so loves the world. And in a couple of weeks, we're going to look at the one. I got to just give you a little trailer of it because he comes down to Moses. He says, I have heard the groanings and I have come down. That's what he's always heard. He doesn't need us. He loves us. We need him. So, Jesus, you look comfortable, actually. Jesus, uh, feel at home. Name the animals. Um, Jesus, Jesus is the Imago Day in micro. The macro, God, in micro. John tells us he was in the beginning with God. All, listen, all things came into being through him. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. In other words, when Adam woke up, the son of God's face said, hello. Who was it in the garden? Who was it? He tells us. The father gave liberty to his son. This is the son of God's creation. Fully delegated by Yahweh for the Son to speak, and in connection, the Spirit activated everything the Son spoke that came from the Father's heart. That is family. That's empowering. There was the true light which coming into the world enlightens every man. All fell down, all was lost, all can be found. He came for us. No one has seen God at any time. The only, the see, no one has seen God at any time, but the only begotten God who is in the bosom of the Father. He has explained him. He is the revelation. He's the outray. He's the image of the invisible God from the garden to the next garden. Praise the name of Jesus who is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. The promised one, with one righteous act, reverses the curse of the fall, and when fallen people embrace the good news of that, and God gives us eyes to see the face of Jesus, we are brought out of death, brought out of darkness, into new creation, and new creation begins in us at the moment of birth, we are a new creation. Old things have passed away. I make all things new. And we have the deposit. I wear this one because I love FCA, but I also wear this one to remind me that whether I feel God or whether what I see or whatever, I, you, because when I believed, I was marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a guarantee for me with view of the full redemption. In other words, I'm going to live in Eden because the spirit of him has brought his breath into my soul and made me a brand new creation. And he who has the spirit of God is a child of God. Come on now. And, and so from, from here to there, 
in the streams of God, filling the soil of my soul and yours, avoiding the seductions of the serpent in the house and out of the house. Like C.S. Lewis says in The Abolition of Man, we are led back to the time of Adam's dance in paradise. Isn't that awesome? God has a passion for you and me to know that, live that. But as I said, there's a serpent. There's a, there's a snake in the grass. Have you noticed it? The beast and the unbeliever. Paul talks about it. Note the imagery from the garden again in the, in the Eden thing. And even if our gospel is veiled, if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing in whose case the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelieving. That was me. That was you. Again, aren't you glad they didn't close up church before it was your turn? There are other, it's their turn. It's their turn. Let's go find an evangelist to come and just hope that in one night shot, God can reach them all. Let's do it. Is that how it's supposed to work? So that they might, might not see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the imago Dei of God. This is our commission, that we're to have shining faces. Moses comes down off the mountain, his face is shining, but it faded away. Paul says, we don't have shining faces, but we do. We just don't know we do. We have an invisible fragrance that's detected differently among those who are saved and those who aren't. And so we need to have elevator moments. We need to have moments at work and at school. Even when we don't feel it, we are, there is something shining if we, are, if we are walking in this light. Jesus said, no one lights a lamp and only shines it in church. He, that's, Jesus said that. No one lights a lamp and only shines it in church. No one lights a lamp and sticks it under their bed. No one lights a lamp and covers it over with a bucket or a basket. But we let the light shine in the whole house so that they may see our what? Good works and glorify God. In practicality, we all have a grace gift block that has no limitations on it because God has stretched the measuring line of, of possibilities far beyond the church's ability, the vision. It's way far beyond that. We don't just post our witness Or text it. It requires long-term human touch and reflection. It's written in the Proverbs, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life. Satan hates this quality shining out of us. Shining an Eden light walk with God among people because it awakens the quest for an Eden pursuit in the life of people that now figure out this is what I've been looking for. He blinds the eyes and, 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 and oh, he loves us to just gather together. Jesus said people will validate the reality of God by the kind of trees they see in the soil or their surroundings. In the, in the prophet Isaiah in the 41st uh, chapter and the 51st, Isaiah says when this new beginning comes through Messiah, he uses these prophetic, poetic image, images of trees and rivers and springs. Listen, I will open rivers on the bare heights and springs in the midst of the valleys. I will make the wilderness a pool of water and the dry land fountains of water. I will put the cedar in the wilderness, the, in the wilderness, the acacia and the myrtle and the olive tree and the juniper. Juju, you watching? You're in the Bible. I will place the juniper in the desert together with the box tree and the cypress that they may see and recognize and consider and gain insight that the hand of the Lord has done this. Yeah. Isaiah 51, 
one of my favorite chapters. The Lord wants to comfort Zion. He will comfort all her waste places and her wilderness he will make like Eden. Her desert like the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving in the sound of melody, just like it was. Everything is sonic. Everything is harmonic. Everything is melodic. And the trees are saying, the people, you know when the blind man, Jesus heals him the first time and it doesn't take? I think it did take. He had a prophetic thing he said. He said, he says, well, how, 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 are you? can you see? He goes, well, I see men as trees. So I think Jesus did that on purpose because God sees men as trees. The trees of the field clapping their hands is not talking about something you're going to see on the side of the hill. It's talking about the joy that's coming from the people of God. You'll be like a tree planted by streams of living water. You. You'll know them by their fruit. Some of people. But there's a beast and a snake in the grass. There's a battle. And the beast wants to not only keep them blinded and keep us distracted, the beast has a battle with you and I, and it's to pervert the Eden-like walk. It's to pervert the Eden-like expression out of the house of God and make it a jail expression. A fearful shaking and trembling at the foot of Sinai's mountain where we all run, even Moses, I fear with a great fear. That's not the new covenant. Paul says, I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, your minds would be led astray from what? The simplicity and purity of devotion to Christ. I love my grandkids, man. There's so much innocence and wonder. On the 4th of July, we were down in Frederick at this park. And it was a great morning. All the grandkids were there, even Silas Quinn in his souped-up cool buggy thing. Emmy, uh, that day, was had like all the kids, they did the bouncy house. They had so much fun. But there came a point in the day, Shelbs, where Emmy was out of gas. And when Emmy ran out of gas, she fussed at Mommy a little bit. Well, and then it turned into a little bit more. And she realized what she did. She was so tired, and she ran over to me. Mind you, I had just bought this amazing strawberry lemonade concoction. It only cost me $550. (laughs) And I've got that thing, and I'm slurping away, and I'm enjoying July 4th vibes, and I got my drink, you know, and I've got it right here holding it. And she comes over and grabs me by the legs and she's crying. She goes, Pacha, I was mean to mommy. And then she spots my drink and goes. (laughs) That was the slickest thing I ever saw. You got... I mean, she didn't skip a beat. It was amazing. Emmy Slurp, man. It's legendary. I went home and wrote that in my journal. 20 years from now, I wanted to capture that. Gosh, Emmy is always cheery. When you go to Devin and Shelby's house and G-Man's always there, Emmy just, man, she's, well, she was the third of the, of the three. Now, you know, the, and now there's Silas, and then there's another. So, but Emmy's in the midst, but she ain't, she's not in nobody's line. She's not, she's, she's her grown girl, man. I love that. All the girls in our family are that. <laughs> Good luck. Uh, I can picture Juju and Emmy on the beach about 10 years from now saying, hey, well, we'll see ya. We're going, you guys have the secret service. And if I'm there, uh, no, sorry, no. No. I love the creativity and the goodness. You know what? Satan hates it. Breaks my heart. It makes me mad. It makes me unchristlike in my feelings of how I would like to respond to the things that are going on and shoved into the faces 
of innocence, all of a narcissistic need. But you know why they're doing that? They, we're all a they. We're all a they. You know why? Because of paradise lost and the need for validation and the need for acceptance and the need to have your identity known and recognized and loved. But we're all, we're all. And here's the thing. It's hard, isn't it? I'm not meaning that we tolerate, no toleration. And I'm very troubled at some of the younger preachers and have massive audiences saying stuff like unhitch from Genesis. That's the dumbest thing. I'm sorry. Oh, it makes me so uncouth. Isn't it interesting that everything that's manifesting in the world can be found in the book of Genesis? Every detail. The fear of man is a snare. And the fear of man will cause the enemy to steal our kids. Come on now. There's a battle, there's a snake in the grass. Paul warns us about so many things, but he says one of the biggest things the enemy wants to do is seduce the gospel into a different kind of image where we lose the simplicity and the purity of devotion. doesn't mean we're perfect. doesn't mean we've got it all down. It's a purity of devotion. You can have all kinds of struggles and have a pure devotion to Jesus. That was an amen right there. I don't, did you, do, you, do you not believe that? What about, if you don't believe it, what, well, how do you explain you then? How do I explain you? Right? Or me? I mean, Peter blows it up bad. And Jesus says, do you love me? He goes, you know I love you. He had a pure devotion. That's why, he, that's, you're, if you have, it, you know, there are a lot of things we have no control over. We think we do. We don't. Nothing, actually, except our own decision. Nothing. We get there and stand there. We can't be at a... We, we point to this or that. You know what we can point to? You know the only thing? Is that by His grace, I still have a pure devotion to Jesus. That's all we can have control over. So I said all that to say in this encounter that God, the door to forgiveness is still open. I, I wrote this in Facebook hoping that a lot of people would come because I put all my hopes in my Facebook post so I can save the world <laughs> or change humanity. That uh, they lost it all. And then they realized they lost it all. And as much as they blamed each other and blamed the devil, they knew. What caused it? They did. And then when they heard God in the cool of the day, something happened. Before it was, Potches at the door. Da, da, da. Then it was, oh no, Potches at the door. That's what sin does. That's what eyes opening. That's what enlightenment does for us. That kind. But he came for them. Where are you? And he still comes for us. The door of forgiveness and new beginnings are always available. Genesis just continues to happen over and over and over again. So how do we walk in the purity and simplicity of devotion to Jesus? It's this, we face God. We face God. Just to, tell, just, to, just to do a little oil check, read on your paradigm of this, let me say this. Uh, if, if you knew for a fact, I mean, you knew for a fact, and it was a fact, that Jesus was coming today at 4 o'clock in the afternoon, how would your daily plan change? How would your emotions change? Would you be like, oh my gosh, I haven't read the Bible in six months. I better read the Bible. I better find a podcast. Get the worship music on. <laughs> Buy a ticket to the Zach Williams concert, even though it'll be after he comes, at least he'll think we were going. Whatever. I mean, is it? 
Would you have to alter your life based on what you think he's going to come expecting from you? Why? Why? Who said? They asked Martin Luther one time what he would do if today was the day. He said, I would do what I would plan to do. I was going to go out and plant my garden. What do I need to change? I walk with Jesus. When two words are spoken, face God, what rises up inside of me? Is it face Pacha and Graham goes, Pach? Or is it, oh no. You know, the ability to be a tree of life in the world as a Christian with a cowering attitude toward worship, toward seizing moments, toward creating things and naming things and walking in dominion. Even, listen, if the enemy can't get you to go into what we think is going into the world and can just get you like that, we're irrelevant. We're totally irrelevant. Most Christians who don't have a prayer life, it has a lot to do with that. Nothing to do with God. Face God. How do we, how do we grow in this innocent, pure, simplistic devotion? Well, when we realize what's on God's face. God's face is passionate about sending new breath into my life. We'd see God's face correctly, we would realize that He is still releasing healing streams toward us. I will send water to the thirsty. I will open up streams in the desert. It's all in this imagery of the one who walked in the cool of the garden, who went into the garden of Gethsemane and took the thorns of the soil on his head and drank the cup to reverse the garden. From thorn-infested ground, joy to the world, the Lord has come. We can face God and come out of death and come out of depression and come out of darkness. And we can come out of shame and we can come out of hiding. And we can have an outward smile, but a broken soul. And we're in mourning within, living in denial and fear and self-hate. Endless searching. I, one of the things I did was um, I went up to a, a film festival and up in the northern part of eastern Pennsylvania, um, I have this thing about this one artist that I love and who died too young and was be, beloved and brilliant, brilliant, loved by masses of people and nobody's love could help because her inner image was self-hate. And, and this person has just struck a chord of fascination with me throughout my life because I've got this thing for, for these people that are brilliant and genius and, and can reveal so much amazing stuff. And you find out that within, and this is not a slight on them, but just heartbreaking, they're such twisted and tormented souls, and my heart breaks for people like that. Breaks. And so I just wanted to dig into the layers of that because I identify with that a little bit from things that God's helped me through and uh, still helping me through, thank God. Um, but, but I think about what that does and, and, the, and the tentacles that grow off that and, and the tones of, your, of your, what's in your mind and the... And the, and the thoughts that are constantly going through your, your consciousness and that you can even uh, attribute to God. But, but the more and more you, you begin to see the face of God is not like that face, not like your face, not like the darkness in your own soul, but it's light and it's, it's idenic and, and, and it's passionate about coming down to the groaning. Even those who are professionally working it out and, and, and doing the deal and, and making marks in life in the church and the world and on the inside, you go away and there's that thing, the question, and, 
You still have the mask, you still have the covering, all that stuff. And my heart goes out to people like that because they're in mass numbers in the church and out of the church. And he comes for us. He comes to ask us questions. But these questions are to release us and help us. When God came to Adam and Eve and he said, where are you? He meant it because he wanted to be with him. Who told you you were naked? What did you do? Not what did you do? Sin tunes the voice of God into that tone. Not God. What did you do? How about this question? Same God. Do you want to get well? Will you give me a drink? Been with five men, living with a dude. Will you give me a drink? Do you, and what does she, she's blown away. This is a holy man, and he wants to drink with me? What is this? What is this? You know what this is? This is naked and unashamed. This is the man, this is the God of Eden. This is paradise gain. How about this? Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven you. We didn't pray the sinner's prayer. How could they be forgiven? Did he repent? Nope. Didn't do any of that. Didn't do any of it. They brought him. He didn't bring himself. Be of good cheer. Your sins are forgiven. Pre-ask. Come unto me, all who are weary, heavy laden, I'll give you rest. Paradise once, paradise twice. And it can start in any person that welcomes him to come the way he wants to come. Would you bow your heads, please? You know... We, pre we pretend like, we pretend like at times that we're all exempt from the things that are all around us the other days of the week. You know, God wants our light to shine, and so we have to come out of hiding. And we have to be convinced that there is still a, a new genesis for us. In the world of, of such perverted perplexities of darkness, in all aspects of life and government and society and community, there are certain things that stick out like a sore thumb, so to speak. And many, many of us have secrets that really aren't anybody's business. But they're God's business and they're your business in this sense. Not because if you've got to do this great reveal and walk through all the that, but it's about what you can't reveal and what not being able to reveal hinders others from being able to have hope. Covered because we're in shame, whether it's in the area of lost virginity, in body or spirit. So many of us have been exposed to evil way before we ever wanted to in our childhood and we've brought it through and we're busy and we're active and we're driven and we're trying and we're everything we do is perfecting and it, nothing can be less than that and, it, and it's a burden that's so heavy to bear and, 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 and it's like who are we trying to please whose affirmation do we need and it's so wearisome it's so broken 
and we're afraid and we think about, well, pray. Someone says, have a prayer life with prayer. Like, what does God think of me? And I honestly believe that there are many people who actually think that it's God talking to them, but it's Satan mimicking the voice of God. And it's actually become a cultural norm in, in your conscience to just think that God is this harsh taskmaster who is always, you're on the O thing with him. And you have to be in the second level. You have to be in the minor league. You have to be off Broadway because on Broadway is for the pure and the one who did it right and the good home and the good marriage and the ones who stuck it through and the all that. And, and the rest of us just have, we've got, we, we, we'll do second level. We'll do second city. We'll, you know, well, here's a retread. Here's a that. I'm here to tell you that the Jesus that walked into that garden when, listen, we have no idea the trauma and the shame and the fear that, that, that permeated every, every part of the soul of Adam and Eve. And to hear God walk through these times with them. And then at the end of the day, he makes, God makes garments for them. And then makes a promise to Eve. You will give birth to the one who will reverse this whole thing. Huh? What a privilege. After the fall, after listening to the devil, God comes back to her and says, you will give birth to the line of messianic rescue. Paradise coming. I want to pray That uh, ideally, wouldn't it be awesome if there would be a burning bush moment or uh, he would come down and sit next to your well and you'd just walk out of here dancing down the street. You'd leave your car in the parking lot. You wouldn't need to drive. You'd just run back to where you're from telling everybody, hey, God's done it. I'd love for that to happen. Most likely that's not the way it's going to be. Here's the way it's going to be. God is just gently coming up close to you today, and he's just reminding you that it's not over that it's just beginning. And regardless of what you've done or how many times or how many promises, every day is a new genesis. Every day is a new beginning. The, 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 the mighty one always turns to the fallen ones instead. Always. He always has. He always will. The last chapter in the Bible, he is still saying, if anyone is thirsty, come and take from the water of life freely. I'll put my name on your forehead. He is bringing Eden into your life and into mine. There are streams of the river of God that flow into the soil of Eden. And you and I, you and I have already been prepared, not by you or me, but by the blood of the Son, the one who made us first, made us again, and he's always making us new. And he is releasing from his hand the healing streams of the river of God where your thorns are, where your covering is, where your shame is, where your fear is, those streams will retune God's voice to the melodic harmonic pitch that you can hear as a liberated daughter and a liberated son. I want you to stand as the band leads us in a song of worship. Uh, Feel free, feel free to find a place to pray, to worship. I want to encourage you to do something. I've noticed this in the church world. This bothers me. This bothers me. I'll tell you why. Do you know when Jesus speaks to people and what David said that God does? God is the lifter of our head. One of the signs I can, I can see if a person has not come into full Edenic uh, childlikeness is that when they, when they assume a prayer posture, it's always down. Now, I'm not trying to knock anybody, but check yourself. Check yourself if you're always going down. I believe Jesus would look at you and say, lift your head up, son. Look up here. Isn't that what you do? Look at mama. Honey, look at daddy. Hey, look. Hey, buddy, look at Pacha. Right? Isn't that important? Don't just bow low. We're not in a bow low. We're in a lift up your eyes. Come on now. 
Heavenly Father, I pray that in your mercy and your grace and your kindness, that you would release into our lives the healing streams, that this would be a day, a brand new day for people that have carried things for, ver for a very long time, that they would come back into a new tune, that they'd have a close encounter of the kindness of God. This is an encounter of the God kind. The God kind of encounter is to come to you with fresh breath, healing streams, and an empowering word with a purpose to walk forward in the messianic work of God. May God release that to everyone here, everyone that listens, everyone that watches. Be free in the name of Jesus. God bless.